Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. Turn with me this morning to the book of Joshua and turn to the 24th chapter. Hallelujah. Joshua 24. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. God is so good. Amen. Hallelujah. Have you found Joshua 24? What I'm going to preach on this morning is really uh, uh, some comments that I've made in our Wednesday night session. On Wednesday nights, I've been teaching a class uh, or a series on parenting from a Christian perspective. And uh, I've taken more time than I really originally planned to spend on the subject of faith as it comes to parenting. And since this is Father's Day, uh, I just felt that uh, led of the Lord that it'd be good to minister some of this this morning. Not, now, you know, a lot of times on Wednesday nights, I'll minister things and I'll think, boy, this is it's too bad there aren't more people here. And a lot of times our workers, we have a lot of workers, a lot of adults that are out on Wednesday night in different classrooms with children and youth doing different things. And I think, boy, I wish they could hear this. I trust you workers when you, 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 know, you have the availability of getting the download or the CDs. I trust you're doing that when you miss the services. And, uh, and all of you, you know, when you, when you think that we have three services a week that are you know, teaching and ministry services, uh, you know, if you only come on Sunday morning, you're missing two-thirds of what the Lord has for you. Amen. The, the Spirit of God gives the pastor something that the church needs. And, uh, and if you're not here to get it, then you miss out on a lot of it. So we make it available if you have to miss that you can uh, download it to your computer or you can uh, get the, order the CD and pick it up the next service. Um, we make that available to you, but, and, and we trust that you take advantage of that when you can and when you need it. But it's more important to be here. Amen. Because there are just some things that, uh, that uh, you'll pick up being in the service just in praise and worship. Your heart is prepared in, in such a way that the Spirit of God's able to minister to you. And so we encourage you to be here. But anyway, today I want to talk about faith as it pertains to our families. And in Joshua 24, this is, this is a very familiar passage. Uh, and yet I want to bring it out a little bit differently today than maybe we've done in the past. When Joshua was talking to the children of Israel after they had uh, crossed the Jordan River, taken possession of the land of Canaan, it says in verse 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served, which are on the other side of the river. Now remember their fathers had all died during the 40 years in the wilderness. And so they weren't talking necessarily about their ancient fathers. They were talking about their very fathers. You know, just the, the previous generation that had died off. And why did they die off? Because of unbelief. They weren't able to go in and take possession of the land because of their unbelief. And he said, uh, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were on the other side of the river, that is in Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, this last part of this verse, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord is one of those verses that you see on plaques in the Christian bookstores. You see it on uh, refrigerator uh, magnets. It's just one of those verses that, that inspires people. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and it's a great verse of scripture and it's a great thing uh, to remember. But I think most of the time, looking back over my own life and just you know, what I know of people and my years of, of uh, being in the ministry, I think most often this scripture is, is viewed as a very good saying. 
Very positive. You know, uh, the Bible talks about, in connection with faith, the Bible uh, has a lot to say about what we say, the confession of faith. But there's a, there's, there's a parallel uh, idea in the natural world, and that is the power of positive thinking. You know, you know the author, uh, Norman Vincent Peale, wrote a book way back, you know, many years ago, entitled The Power of Positive Thinking. And literally sold millions and maybe a billion copies. I don't know, but, but just, you know, it's gone all over the world, been translated in all these different languages. And uh, that book, now he was a Christian and he was a minister uh, before he became a, a more of a secular author. And the principle of the power of positive thinking is based in the word of God, the principle for it. And so uh, the, the power of positive thinking naturally lends itself to the power of positive talking. And thinking positively is good. Studies have shown that people who are positive in their outlook tend to do better, to be happier, to produce more, and just have a more fulfilled life all the way around, saved or unsaved, just by being positive. Negativity is, is a very uh, destructive uh, influence in a person's life. Someone that's, that's always down and always negative, always talking negative talk, always say, always looking on the dark side and the bad side and the downside and the dull side of life, they tend to experience more of all of that. Well, there is a natural uh, power and result that sort of, that sort of uh, mirrors the spiritual. And so there is a natural power in positive thinking and positive talking. But when you come over into the subject of faith, there's the truth of the confession of faith. The confession of faith is not just merely positive talking because of the power of God's word. See, our faith is grounded in the word of God. And when we believe it in our heart and say it with our mouth and talk uh, in a way that is in harmony with the word of God, which would be positive, God's very positive. Our future is very positive. Our blessings are very positive. Who we are and what we have is very positive. But the power doesn't lie in the positiveness of it. The power lies in the fact that it's of God, that God said it. And see, when I take my words and conform my words to what God said, it's God's word that gives my word great, not just natural power, but supernatural power. But I think... When, again, when most people read this verse and when many times when fathers, Christian fathers, will, they'll read this and they'll say that, you know, uh, in, 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 you know, very positively, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But I want you to notice that this was not a statement, just of a positive statement on behalf of, of Joshua. This wasn't, uh, his words were more than just hopeful. His words were more than just positive. A lot of times things can be said that sound good. You know, that even, even when people speak the word of God, a lot of times, and this is one of those verses that really what's behind it is more of a spirit of bravado than anything else. You know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> if you're listening by CD, you didn't see all my emotions. In other words, it's, it's, it's manly as a Christian man. We, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's not what Joshua was doing. He wasn't making a statement of, 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 of bold, uh, uh, positiveness or, or like I said, bravado. This was a statement of faith. Now, you know that it's a statement of faith because the Bible records it in a very positive light or in a very for, a favorable light. You know, not everything that is spoken in the Bible is of God. You do know that, right? You know, it's, 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 it's recorded in the Bible that they said Jesus had a demon. The Bible says those words, he has a demon. Well, he didn't have a demon. 
That was what the ungodly said about him. So not everything that's written in the Bible, not everything that's said and that's recorded in the Bible is of God. You know, uh, there's a passage that's been repeated over and over and over. You hear it all the time at funerals. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, that, came, that comes from the Bible. Job said that. And even though the Bible says that he did not sin in what he said by foolishly charging God, he didn't say that in, in the sense that I'm charging God with my problems and what's wrong with me. It's still not an accurate statement. The whole of the New Testament gives a completely different picture of God. See, the Bible says that the father of lights, that from him comes down every good and every, and every perfect blessing. Isn't that right? Jesus said that, that uh, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He also said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I've come that you might have life. So God's not giving and then taking away. So again, there are some things that are said in the Bible that are proved to be otherwise uh, than what is actually said, but it's truly recorded. This is not one of those passages. This is recorded in a very favorable way. God recorded this, had the Holy Spirit uh, impress the author to write this down because this is an accurate statement and it's a statement of faith. Amen. You see, without a covenant right to believe it, it would be no more than just a spiritual air castle. Now I get that phrase from my spiritual father, uh, Kenneth E. Hagan, he used to talk sometimes about people who just went around confessing, you know, supposedly making confessions of faith. And they just confess all kinds of outlandish things. He said they were building spiritual air castles. I remember years ago, we had a man in our church that uh, he got a hold of the message of faith and confession. But, you know, not everybody that gets a hold of it gets a hold of it right. And so he began to confess that he was going to win the uh, Reader's Digest sweepstakes. Remember that? That was back. We didn't have a lottery back then in the state. And so, you know, that's where everybody pinned their hopes, you know, if they have, they were given and that sort of thing. And so he just began to tell everybody, I'm going to win the, the reader's digest sweepstakes million dollars. And he just said it and he said it and he said, but you know, there's no basis for that. Now the Bible does promise that if you'll love God and serve God and, 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 uh, stand in faith that you'll prosper and God will take care of you. But nowhere does the Bible promise you that you're going to win the reader's digest sweepstakes. So that's a, an illustration of someone building a spiritual air castle. But you see, when Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And since God didn't correct that statement, and in fact endorses that statement and gives it to us for our learning, then that must be a statement of faith. And if it's a statement of faith, there has to be a covenant right to it. Yes. He wasn't just saying this because he felt like it. He wasn't just saying this because he, 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 liked, he liked the sound of it and that he hoped that if he said it enough, it would come true. No, there has to be a covenant right to it. There, ha there must be biblical grounds upon which a father could say such things. Notice that uh, it says, as for me and my house. Now notice, we will serve the Lord. We will serve, me and my house will serve the Lord. Now you can decide to serve the Lord for yourself. You're, you're a father, you're a dad. You can make a decision. You and your wife together can make a decision. We're gonna serve the Lord. But you know, you can't make your kids serve God. You can drag them to church. The scripture doesn't say, as for me and my house, we're all going to church because I'm gonna drag them to church. Somebody says, my parents drugged me when I was little. They drugged me to church and they drugged me everywhere. <laughs> No, you can, you can decide yourself to serve God, but you cannot make your children serve God. You can have them in service every time the doors are open and they can just sit there defiantly and just refuse to serve God. So, so when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
He's talking about he and his house would voluntarily, willingly live for God. So he's making a statement of faith that not only, not only would he live for God willingly, passionately, but that every member of his household, including his children, would all willingly and, and, and passionately love God, serve God, and, and, and live for him all of the days of their lives. Isn't that right? Now, I want you to, sometimes people will say, well, pastor, you, you know, it's just so hard in this world. There's so many things that go on in the go on in this world. There's so much pressure. There's so many things pulling on my kids. You know, it's not, it's just not the way it used to be. Well, remember that Joshua said, now, if it seems good to you to serve the gods, which your father served on the other side of the Jordan or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, they were surrounded with heathen influence just as great, maybe greater than we're surrounded with today. So even in light of the ungodliness around him, he had a bold statement of faith. He said, as for me and my house, we will reject the culture around us. We will reject the ungodliness around us. We will reject the, the gods and the, and the paganism around us. And my family along with me will live for God. Well, again, he, he had to have had a, 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 some basis for saying that. You could not, it would not be a, a statement of faith unless there was provision for it in the word of God. And if it's not a statement of faith, it wouldn't be here. Amen? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter one to understand how this is a statement of faith. In Genesis chapter one, and again, you would be very uh, well off to have come on Wednesday night and heard all of these uh, previous sessions or gotten the download of those services and heard them. But if you haven't, uh, they're still available uh, because I can't go into everything that I, I've been saying. But I want to hit the highlights of it. In Genesis chapter one, of course, we know the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. This is God's ideal. This is how God uh, first established the earth, his plan for man. In Genesis chapter one, Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over everything that lives and moves upon the earth. God said, I'm gonna make man in my image. And after my likeness, and he did. He gave to mankind the very holy privilege of procreation, giving man the ability to bring the rest of the family of God into being. And husbands and wives are, were empowered with such a, a, a wonderful capacity that we could, in the beginning, that mankind could begot, beget more of God's children. And we were to uh, bring them into this world. We were to produce them after our likeness and image, which was God's likeness and image. But of course, you know what happened in the Garden of Eden. Sin came in and, and marred God's plan, spoiled God's plan. And it says over in chapter five, turn over there real quick. This is the book, verse one, chapter five. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Well, if you know the Bible story, you know this was the third son that Adam had. His firstborn was named Cain. His secondborn was named Abel. And this was his thirdborn, Seth. Well, we know what happened with Cain and Abel. Cain became a murderer and murdered his brother. And so you can see how sin marred the plan of God and how sin corrupted the family. Because 
man still had the ability to uh, uh, procreate, to have children born after his own image and in his own likeness. But the problem is it's a, fa- it's a fallen image. It's, there, there's, man was now a fallen being. And so he produced children that were also fallen. I'm talking about the sin nature that's passed down through the flesh. Go with me over to Romans chapter five and you can see it stated. Romans chapter five. Look at verse number 12. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. Now, that one man was Adam. Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death, that spiritual death, through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. It says here that sin entered the world through Adam and then spiritual death because of that sin and sin and spiritual death passed down to all men. So the family as God intended it was rearranged. The ideal that God had for for men to live, men and women to live together in, in holiness and with their family was severely marred. And now you see man and the and the family unit and the family relationship, a parent and child relationship, being more of the catalyst to sin. The family became the contagion through which sin was was passed on all throughout the earth. So in one sense, the family became the stronghold of sin because because through it, sin uh, uh, dominated the entire human race. Well, go with me here in the same chapter, Romans chapter five, let me go back to it. Romans chapter five, look at verse 20 and verse 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now notice this, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Well, if the family became sin's strongest ally, if sin was was so abundantly prevalent in the family to the degree that it infected the entire human race, I would say sin abounded there. Well, it says where sin abounded, grace much more abounds. That's telling us that God has a plan of grace where our families are concerned. That the, let me say it differently. There, the grace of God has an application that's particular to our families, just like in any other area of life. How could this verse be true? If sin alone had the power through the parents to bring such total domination of the human race. If sin alone had that power, then how could Romans 5.20 be true? Where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. We can see by, read, by reading ahead in the New Testament that God has a plan to, to counter the effects of sin everywhere. How much more so in the family, amen? Now go with me over to Genesis chapter seven. Genesis chapter seven. Hallelujah. 
Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. He said, come into the ark, you and your household. Why? Because I saw all of you righteous? No, he said, because I have seen that you, Noah, are righteous before me in this generation. And then hold your place there and go over to Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews, excuse me, not seven, Hebrews 11, verse seven. Hebrews 11, verse number seven. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Notice he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. You see, Noah's deliverance back in in Genesis chapter seven, the deliverance that God granted to Noah and his family was really available to anybody on the earth. If they had believed Noah's predictions, they could have come into the ark with him. The deliverance that God gave Noah was God's first great act of grace toward a lost world. The very first great act. Now the first act of grace is when God killed those animals and clothed Adam and Eve with the skins of those animals. That was a type of our redemption and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that was just just to Adam and, and Eve. We don't see that repeated again. But on a massive scale, this was God's first great act of redeeming grace on behalf of a sinful world. So it was revealed at this time in Genesis chapter seven that the family was to be a means of grace. You see, God regards the family as a unit and its father as the head and representative of that family. Now, that's in an ideal situation. We have fathers and, and mothers, children growing up in a, in a home where both parents are present. I know very often that's not the case today. And uh, you may be here today and you say, well, I'm a single parent. Well, if, if you're a mom, you're a single parent, God will grace you with the same ability that he graced uh, uh, the father of those children. You can step into that role. God expects you to step into it. But you see, sin, family had been sin's mightiest ally. And so this unit, the family unit, was now to be re- rescued from the dominion of sin and brought into the covenant of grace. Every parent should understand this. And it doesn't matter how old your children are. If they're little children, or you might say, well, well, my kids are are 50 years old and and they're not living right. What I have to say today applies to every parent. There's no time expiration on the promises of God. Let every believing parent understand this. The parent who is righteous in God's sight is dealt with not only as an individual, but also in his relationship as a parent. When God blesses, He loves to bless abundantly. It overflows to his entire household. Now you can see this in the New Testament. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter seven. 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Paul is speaking here about divorce and remarriage and different things pertaining to uh, husbands and wives and families and so forth. Verse 14 says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the believing wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing husband. So he's saying if if either a husband or wife are Christians, that the spouse is sanctified. Now, not in the sense that they're right with God. The word sanctified simply means set apart. God sets apart the spouse of a believer. Even if that spouse is not saved, even if they're not a Christian, they have, because of the relationship of the believing spouse, 
there's an influence that, that covers that other person to a degree and they are sanctified. In other words, the blessing that would come upon the one comes upon both of them. Now, that doesn't mean that the unsaved is gonna go to heaven. That person has to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior. But in this life, there is a sanctifying effect a godly influence that is, is extended to the mate, to the spouse of a believer. Otherwise, how, you know, your, your, your faith as a family and what you're believing for as an individual, so much of that has to do with your, with your spouse and your children, your family situation. And you would be so hindered if that was not the case, but it is the case that God sees you as a unit and, and the blessings that belong to you will overflow to a degree to your family. Now he goes on to say, he says that the unbelieving, let me find it again. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Now again, in a, in a ceremonial sense, in a sense of, of the covenant, what he's saying is the children come under special consideration because you're married, even though you're married to an unbeliever, because God sets that person apart in the marriage relationship, your children then are accepted. Otherwise, they would be really considered illegitimate. He said it's not illegitimate. Even though that unsaved spouse is not a believer, God, God covers that family with his grace. Can you see that? Go with me over to Acts chapter 2. I want you to see how often the blessing of God is to the, to the person receiving it and to their family. Acts chapter two, verse number seven. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Notice he said, I'm gonna pour my spirit out on all flesh. It's going to affect your children. Go over to chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse number 13. And he told us how he'd seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Now again, every person in the household has to receive that word for themselves. But the point I'm making is God sees the family as a unit. He intends for that blessing to flow to each one. He said, he will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Go to the 16th chapter. Acts chapter 16, look at verse number 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Notice when that the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul and when she and her household were baptized. That means they all were believers. God opened her house, uh, God opened her, her heart and it extended to the entire household. Do you see that? And then go over to the 31st verse, same chapter. The Philippian jailer, you know the story how Paul and Silas were delivered at midnight from prison. Verse 31, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had set, brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Are you seeing a pattern here? God intends for the whole household to come in. Go to the, eight, to the 18th chapter of Acts. Acts chapter eight, 18, verse number eight. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. Hallelujah. Go to the 21st chapter of the book of Acts. Acts 21, 
verses number, numbers eight and nine. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. That means his children were believers. Preacher's kids are supposed to be believers. It's been said that preacher's kids are the worst in the church. I've always said if that's so, it's because they hang around the deacon's kids. I was one of the deacon's kids and I know it was true in our case. (laughs) Preacher's kids, obviously believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesying, amen? You see, the ark, going back to, to, to Noah's day, the ark in which the parent is to be saved is meant for his children too. It's, it's for the children as much as for the parent. And it's for the, and it's for the parent's sake that it's for the children. God, God gave us this promise that our children would be included not only for their sake, but for our sake. Because how sad and how lonely would the prospect be of going to heaven and your children not going with you? God doesn't intend it to be that way. The ark is to be the house of the entire family. Now God told Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household. This was not just a promise, but a command. The parent is to bring the children into the ark. All the children. That's the parent's responsibility. You say, well, but you said earlier that a parent can't make his child serve God. That's, that's true. In the sense of dragging your children to church making them sit in church and just, you know, uh, as a natural thing, I'm going to make you be a Christian. You can't do it. But still he commanded, uh, Noah, bring, you come and you bring your children into the ark. So there must be a provision in God's word that, that gives us the assurance that not by, not by outward, uh, natural commands and coercion, but by, through a spiritual power of faith, we can command our family to come in. Amen? Now, over in the New Testament, go with me over to Second, uh, or, or to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse number one says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, He desires a good work. We know that a bishop is nothing more than a pastor, according to the word of God. If a man desires the position of a pastor, he desires a good work. A pastor then must be blameless. What does that mean? Well, it means the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, See, all of these things reflect blamelessness. He continues, one that rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Not just having his children in submission, but having them in submission with all reverence. In other words, children that, that, that are reverent toward the family and toward God. It's not just somebody that's collared and drugged to church and forced to submit by, by the strength of the hand, but reverent. Now go over with me to Titus. We have a similar statement. Titus chapter one, verse number five. For this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. We see here that elders... The instructions uh, for elders, the qualification for elders is the same as for bishops because elders and bishops are the same thing in the New Testament. They're pastors. He said, if a man is blameless, how? Well, being the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation, margin of my Bible says debauchery, literally incorrigibility, He said, having faithful children, not accused of debauchery or insubordination or rebellion, not even accused of it. 
So he's saying part of the requirements or qualifications for someone to be a pastor is that their family has to be in order and their children have to be faithful, not rebellious, reverent, faithful children. Now, how could that be a requirement for me if it wasn't something that I had a right to? See, we've looked at the idea of the salvation. Hit your neighbor and say, wake up. Your parents are asleep this morning, literally. How could it be required of me as a pastor? How could I, let me say it differently. How could I be disqualified as a pastor because my children weren't serving God unless I had some covenant right to believe and be assured that my children would be right. In other words, most people think that it's, that it's not much more than a, than, than a, a chance, sort of a crapshoot, you know. Sometimes they turn out good, sometimes they don't. You do your best, but you never can tell. Well, if, if that's the case, then he couldn't require that of me. Isn't that right? No, the Bible gives us the covenant right for this. Amen. By faith, Noah, it says in Hebrews 11, by faith, Noah saved his household. You need to be assured that God means for your children to be there with you, parents. It's God's will. Confidently trust God for the salvation of every child. Raise and train up your children in this confidence. Then they will grow up with that confidence too. There is room in the ark for all of your children. Amen. God expects you to bring them in. Not hope and pray for their salvation, but rest in bold, confident faith that it cannot be otherwise. We raised our children this way. Our children are not believers today because we did everything right as parents, because we didn't. Our children are believers today because we believed God. We received God's word when we were young and we had one child already. We got back in the fellowship with the Lord and one of the first things that registered on our heart was that we could believe God and our children would grow up to serve God. And we believed that. We never entertained a thought. All of those years, we still don't entertain the thought that our children or our descendants, our grandchildren will not live for God. We don't entertain such a thought. We have the word of God for it. Raise your children in the victory that living in the ark affords. The blessing of God will be the greatest teacher your, your children will ever know. Amen. The best time to, be, to begin believing for the salvation of your children is before they're even conceived. Amen. Go with me to Genesis chapter 15. So we're going to see that God, that, that Abraham believed God for his children before they were even born. See, God wants to take possession of your children before sin gets the mastery over them. Amen. It's very important. You say, well, again, yeah, but my children, you know, I didn't know all of this. I, I wasn't even serving God most of my adult life. Now, now I'm older and I've come to know the Lord and my children, they don't serve God. Listen, the, the, the promises that, we're re, that we, will, we have read and we will read this morning apply to every parent. Doesn't matter how old your children are. Certainly you should start it uh, before they're born or when they're very young. That makes it a lot easier. But the, again, there is no time expiration on the promise of God. It doesn't matter who you are. If you'll get a hold of the fact that you have a covenant right to see your children saved and, and stand by that and adhere to that and embrace that with all of your heart, God will bring your children in. I don't care how old they are. Amen. It's never too late. Genesis chapter 15. In... Uh, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham or Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I, have, seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? 
Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. In the verse six, and he believed in the Lord and, it account, and he accounted it unto him for righteousness. Abraham exercised faith concerning his children and his future generations, not just about himself, but about his children. That, and he was, he was very much aware, I'm an old man. I'm an old man now and I have no children. He said, I'm gonna give you a child. I'm gonna give you a son. But not only that, he and all his offspring, in other words, all of your descendants. And it says, Abraham believed God concerning his family, yet unborn, and God honored it and accounted it to him for righteousness. That means that God accepted his faith and granted him the, position, the, the desire of his heart. Amen? Parenthood and childhood are of divine origin. So everything connected with it must be a matter of faith. See, if my faith is to fully honor God, it must reach beyond myself and embrace my children, grasping the promises of God for them too. If I want to truly magnify God's grace in my life, if I want to, to be totally consecrated to God's service, and if I want to accomplish the most for the advancement of the kingdom of God, then it is especially important that as a parent, I believe in labor. But here is where parents have a great deal of difficulty. Parents can see that God's promises of mercy and grace toward the sinner are free and sure. And they've embraced that for themselves and, and been born again. But it's as if the promise for their children is not equally sure. That it's on a less foundation than the promise for themselves. In other words, parents oftentimes have a problem seeing how one person can believe God for another salvation. Well, when it comes to parenting, you absolutely can do this. You see, the main view, and I was raised up with this kind of view. We, we read Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. We, we sort of, uh, we read that verse, but we misinterpreted it. And here's the way we actually understood it. Raise up a child in the way he should go. Who knows? When he gets old, he might depart and, and uh, not live for God and just go out, you know, and live a reckless life and sow his wild oats and, and, and just be a, you know, just a, a big sinner. But just keep on believing God one day they'll come back. Well, that's not what that verse says. Proverbs 22, six says, raise up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. That means he'll never leave. Well, see, most people believe where, when it comes to parent, parenting, that there's a general connection between like, like between seed time and harvest, you know, there's a general connection, you know, you, you sow and, and you'll probably reap, but we all know that all seeds, not good. The soil is not always good. If you're a farmer, you know that, that not every seed that you put in the ground will come up and produce. But there's a general connection. Seed time and harvest. If you sow, uh, you, you'll produce something. Maybe not 100%, but you'll get, you'll get results. Well, they see the same kind of connection between godly parenting, raising a child right, and the nurture and admonition. Or they see a general connection between that and their children growing up. In other words, what, what most people leave, believe is that there's a general tendency. If you'll do everything right, that there's the general tendency your ch children will turn out right. In other words, the ordinary outcome would be that your children will turn out right. But see, that's not, that's not a solid basis for faith. If there's an exception in there, if, there, if there's an exception that you, that you could do everything right and they still don't turn out right, then... then that exception undermines a person's faith. How can you cast all of your care on the Lord over on, uh, concerning that? You couldn't. There has to be a promise in God's word that makes it sure and certain and undeniable. 
Well, the verse we've already looked at does that. Proverbs, we haven't looked at it, but just quoted it. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, if he didn't already embrace it, it would be a moot point to say he'll not depart from it. He'll not depart from it doesn't have any meaning unless the child has already embraced it. Isn't that right? So it's train up a child in the way he should go and he will embrace it when he's young and he'll not depart from it when he's old. That's what that verse is saying. Amen. Now, go with me over to uh, Genesis 17. You're in the 15th chapter. Genesis 17. You know, the Bible says we are to follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. He's the father of the Christian faith. He's not the father of our family. God is, of course. But he is the example in the Old Testament of faith and we're told to follow in his footsteps and we're also told that the Gentile receives the blessing of Abraham because we're in Christ. So what God promised Abraham belongs to the church. Isn't that right? If you know the New Testament, you know that's so. In Genesis 17, God is speaking to Abraham. He said in verse five, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. Now notice, to be a God to you and to your descendants, that is to your seed after you. I'll be a God to you and I'll be a God to your children. That's a promise. That's a covenant promise from God. Do, do, the, blessing of Abraham, do the blessings of Abraham belong to the church? Absolutely, absolutely. When God gives us a promise, he expects us to accept it by faith. Now notice, I made this statement on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago, I wanna make it again, pay real close attention. God's promise to Abraham concerning Isaac, because Isaac was among his descendants, God's promise to Abraham concerning Isaac was not conditional on Isaac's believing. Now, I always have to, to, to go back and, and, and uh, make you know, disclaimers because people will misinterpret things sometimes intentionally. I'm not saying that your children uh, will be saved by not, without believing themselves. Yes, they must believe on the Lord themselves to be individually born again. But I want you to notice that this promise to Abraham concerning Isaac was not conditional on Isaac's believing. Isaac wasn't even around yet. He hadn't even been born. It was intent, this promise was intended to be the source and the security of Isaac's believing. Isaac was gonna be a believer because Abraham believed it. So as you and I stand in covenant with God, as our God, and see how he offers to be the God of our seed, we have the right in faith to claim this promise and to be assured that our children's salvation is, and be assured of it as firmly as, as we are of our own because we have a covenant with God. I want you to notice here four elements of this promise to Abraham that reveal the certainty of it to our children. Four elements of it. Number one, the matter of the promise is the same in each case. A, I will be a God to you. B, I will be a God to your seed after you. So the matter of the promise is the same in each case. God stands in the same relation to the child as to the father. The believing parent and the unconscious child have the same place before God. Two, the certainty of the promise is, uh, is the same. I will be a God to you and to your children, your seed after you. I will be. So the certainty of the promise is the same to the father and, uh, and concerning the children. The condition of the promise is the same in each case. The blessing for the parent and child is offered on the one condition of the faith of the parent. In this case, the faith of Abraham. Because again, he, his descendants hadn't been born. So it couldn't have been their faith. Isn't that right? 
The condition of the promise is the same in each case. The blessing for the parent and child is offered on the one condition of the faith of the parent. If the parent's faith accepts this for the child, God will see to it that his faith is not disappointed. And number four, the recipient, listen to this, the recipient of the promise is the same. It is not as if the first half of the promise is given to the father and the second half to the child. No, it is the same person to whom the two parts of the promise are made. In the first part, the individual accepts it for himself. In the second part, he accepts it as a father for his child. The granting of the blessing is not held in suspension to wait for the child's faith, but is given to the father's faith in the assurance that the child's faith will follow. Hallelujah. With Abraham, as with each believing parent today, the same faith accepts the personal and parental blessing. The blessing is in either case equally sure if faith equally holds it fast. We should all follow in the steps of our father Abraham concerning our children. It's important, folks. And I'll give you one. I know we're, we're a little late, but we're not coming back tonight, so I'm gonna take a little extra time. Go with me to Exodus chapter 12. Now, I, I go into more detail on all of this on Wednesday nights. And uh, unless you just cannot be here, you ought to be here on Wednesday night. Amen. In Exodus chapter 12, we have the story of the institution of the Passover. Verse number three, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father. Now notice, a lamb for a household. And they go with me over to verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. More than any other Old Testament type, more than any other Old Testament festival, more than, more than any Old Testament feast or observation or, or sacrifice or anything, more than any other Old Testament type, the, the Passover prefigures and foreshadows the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in every minute detail, more so than any other in, in the Old Testament. Isn't that right? How can we exclude this element of the household from that? How can we exclude this, this, this type when he said, take a lamb for a house? One lamb for an entire house. And when the death angel passes over and he sees the blood on the doorpost, he'll pass over everyone in the house because the father put the blood on the doorposts. Now, I am not saying that, again, that you can do the believing for your child in, in their place. You can believe for them in the sense that you stand in, in for God on their behalf, but they have to exercise personal faith, but God will see to it if you're in faith. See, the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're in faith where your children are concerned, the power of the blood of Christ will work its mighty influence over your children until the time comes when they are confessedly saved. They believe God because of the influence. Faith has a tremendous influence. Where you See, you have a right to it. You have a right to it. He told Abraham, command your children to come in. You have a right as a parent. I'm not talking about a natural command. I'm not talking about grabbing your kids up and by the collar and shaking them saying, you're going to church and you're going to live right. You're going to serve God or else. It's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about a spiritual command. You have the spiritual authority as a parent to command that in the spirit realm where your children are concerned. And to stand in faith and the blood of Christ as, a, as, as applied to your life will be applied to their life until the day comes when by that godly influence of everything working together in the home, raising them up, training them in the nurture 
and the fear and the nurture of the Lord, when all of that comes together, your children at, an, at the very earliest age will embrace the Lord Jesus Christ willingly, gladly of their own heart because of your faith. Belongs to every parent. I want to close by saying this. I know that, that a lot of young parents deal with this fear. You might rebuke it when it comes up, but you deal with it. The devil will often tell you, you know, you might do something wrong where your children are concerned. Something you do, something the way you behave in, in your years, you know, the devil will tell you this when your child is small. You've got to be real careful because, you know, I don't want to do anything that might turn my kids away from God. I'm afraid there's something I might do because I'm not perfect. There's, there's, you know, oh, I just hope I don't, do, I just, uh, God help me to, to never do anything to turn my kids away from God. That fear is unfounded because the Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Isn't that true concerning your salvation? Your salvation doesn't depend on you being perfect. If it, if it did, all of us would be sunk. Our salvation is dependent on our faith in God. Now, our faith in God leads us to live right and do right. And, and if a person is a Christian and he doesn't live right, it will hinder the grace of God in his life. But the grace is there to enable you to live free from condemnation. Grace isn't a ticket to do wrong. Grace is a power enabling you to do right. There's parents, there is grace upon you as a parent. There is parental grace. We saw it in, in Noah's day. We saw it in Abraham's day. We see it in the Bible. Paul told Timothy, he said, when I, when I call to remembrance the grace and, or the faith that was in your grandmother and in your mother, and I'm convinced it's in you. How did it get there? Because it got passed down. There's a grace upon you as a parent. Yes, let, let, me, let me, if you have that fear that you might do something wrong, drive your kid away from God, let me relieve your fear. Certainly you're gonna do things wrong. Absolutely you're gonna do things wrong. My wife and I did things wrong. I, I told on Wednesday night, the, the group on Wednesday night, I said there was not always harmony in our house. Sometimes it, you know, she and I fought. A lot of times there was disharmony in our home. We didn't do everything right, but we never stopped believing. I never entertained for one minute the thought that my kids, the most preposterous thing I could think of and still do. It's still the most preposterous thing you could ever say to me, the very idea that my children or grandchildren would not be saved. I just don't believe it. I believe they will be and, and are. And see, we, it, we did a lot of things wrong, but we did that right. And, and, and God, because of his mercy and his grace, will honor your faith when you're doing, you know, you, you might make mistakes, but repent and get over it and move on with God. Be assured, parents, it's not because you're per perfect that your children will be saved. It's because your faith in God is received and accepted by him. That's what will result in your children's salvation. Glory to God. Like I said, young or old, your children may be grown. Maybe you thought it's too late. It's not too late. You can, you can get a hold of this promise even though they're not in your house anymore. You, you don't have that opportunity to shape and mold them like you did when they were very young. You don't have that opportunity anymore, but you're still their parent. And the covenant still belongs to you. Lay hold of that for your children. Don't let it go. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? Happy Father's Day to all you dads again. Go out and, and enjoy the day. Live by faith. Live by faith, dads, moms, parents. Live by faith. Glory to God. Set an example of faith for your children. Well, let's stand. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your goodness and blessing. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the covenant that you've entered into concerning us and our families, the authority that you've given us, the faith that you've given us, the covenant right that we can make not as a statement of, of, of bravado, 
but as a statement of faith, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. What a wonderful thing to believe. What a wonderful thing to say in faith. Glory to God. He has creative power in our families when we speak words of faith. Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.